in seminary when we were studying the book of Job, nobody felt like they could complain about anything. You know, I don't feel well today. Job. Oh, I've got such a hard semester. Job. What an what a ordeal. What a horrible situation this, this man, this man of God, found himself in. I mean, Job was just sitting at home on a normal day. I mean, Job was a wealthy man. He was respected by others. He had several children that he loved and adult children that actually got along together. He owned lots of land, lots of animals. And he had a deep love for God. He was the spiritual leader of his family. Job had a good life. He had it all. I don't know what else he could have wanted in this world. Most scholars believe that Job lived during the days of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Uh, and because much of, of the books of Genesis through Deuteronomy were passed down in an oral tradition, the book of Job may just be the oldest book in the Bible. We know that it's certainly the oldest poetry in the Bible because it was written as a really long poem. So, here's Job sitting at home enjoying life when everything changed for him without any warning at all. I mean, if you've ever thought you've had a bad day, just think about this poor guy. I mean, in about five minutes' time, four messengers arrived, one after the other, and told Job that he had lost everything. I mean, first of all, his oxen and his donkeys were stolen, and all of his farmhands were killed by raiders from Arabia. Secondly, he's told that a powerful lightning strike killed all of his sheep and his shepherds. He's thinking, oh my goodness, this, is, this day is costing me a fortune. Third, raiders from the Persian Gulf area stole his camels and killed all of his workers. And then he hears the news that a windstorm had knocked down his son's house where all of his children were having a get-together. And all of them were killed. I mean, this was so catastrophic that if this was in a Hollywood movie, we would say that it was fiction. Think about this. Here's Job on top of the world in one moment and then a man who lost it all in just a few minutes. And in those moments, Job reacted in a way that people in that day expressed their grief. He stood up. He cried out. He tore his clothes. He even had his head shaved. Not as beautiful as this beautiful melon, but in a very undignified way, he had his hair cut out. By doing this, he was casting aside any sense of his public image. He didn't care how he looked. His soul was in agony. He couldn't contain his emotions, even though he was a man who was respected 
I think sometimes we get so concerned by how we look or so concerned about how others will see us that we keep all of our emotions inside. I mean, we have to be respectable, right? We have an image to uphold. We have a public reputation to maintain. There's this image of ourselves that we want people to see. And so we can't break that image. See, God created us with emotions. And because God created us with emotions, he he expects us to use them in appropriate ways. When we feel grief, we were created by God to express that grief. When we feel joy, we were created by God to express that joy. It always baffles me on Sunday mornings how we can sing songs and hymns like we have, I mean, even this morning, and not be completely moved by the words that we're singing. I mean, we wouldn't dare, you know, raise a hand in praise to God because the person behind us would think we're one of those Christians. If you're singing a song of praise to God and you just got to let it out, let it out. That's how God created us. But at this moment in Job's life, he didn't care what anybody thought. He had lost everything on earth that was important to him. And his heart was in absolute agony. Picture this, if you will. Here's Job having this emotional outburst. Imagine what was going on with the people around him. Here's this wealthy, respectable man in charge who had just ripped his clothes in half, cut his hair off, and was an absolute basket case. The one who everybody looked to for security and the person who was always in control and knew what to do at all times was now a complete wreck. Verse 20 in our scripture says that after Job stood up, after he tore his tunic, after he shaved his head, he did one more thing. He fell face first to the ground before God. Job knew that while he had lost everything, he hadn't lost God. And listen to what Job said. He said, I entered this world with nothing. And when I die, I'll end up with nothing once again. The Lord gave me everything I had and the Lord has taken it away. Praise the name of the Lord. Wow. I have a confession to make. If I just lost everything the way Job had, I'm not sure those would be the first words out of my mouth. Job had a love for God that was deeper than anything else in his life. He knew that that despite the hard work that he had done to earn the riches and to raise his family, 
It was God who really gave him everything that he had. I mean, it's easy for us to say, well, well, that book is mine. That house is mine. That car is mine. And when, when you really think about the implications of saying something like that, it's pretty arrogant, isn't it? To say that something is ours. I mean, how did we get the skills to find a job to earn the money to buy these things? To say that we accomplished something or that something is ours is to say that we're self-reliant. I mean, to, to say that this church building, this facility here, is ours actually makes us the God of the church. And I don't think anyone would want to claim that role. The church building belongs to Jesus Christ. We're just the caretakers of it. In some parts of the world, what's yours is mine and what's mine is yours. That could be anything from shoes to a car to even a house. We've heard from missionaries that we support that that, you know, folks were in there eating supper one night and in walks somebody else, goes into their fridge, just like Kramer on, on Seinfeld. And it walks out. Because it's not your house. It's God's house. You just live there. These folks believe that since what they have is from God, nothing belongs to them. I mean, there's something kind of freeing about that. See, when we focus on what we have, We can get angry and frustrated when it's gone. We can even take our frustration out on God. See, Job understood that his love for God wasn't dependent on how well God took care of him. Job loved God for who God is and not for what God gave him. See, when we love God simply for what God does for us, That's not really a true love for God. It's selfishness. And that doesn't belong in our lives. When we love God just so God can take care of us, when our lives hit a road bump, we start blaming God and wonder where he is. Sometimes some of us have had kind of a dormant relationship with God. And then we go through a rough time, and so what's the first thing we do? We pull out God from a drawer, and we start praying. We go to church. We start reading our Bible again because we need God. Or when students start praying before a test so God will help them. Now, none of the students in this church do that, right? No, of course not. See, Almighty God can't be used or manipulated. We should never try to use God to to help us, almost in a superstitious way. Well, God, if I read the Bible, then you have to do this for me. That's not how we love God. When we love God simply because he is who he is, then like Job, it doesn't matter what happens to us in life. We can make it through because our love for God is about God. And our love for God is not about ourselves. See, Job knew this. I mean, he was full of unbearable grief and sadness. 
Yet Job trusted God because his love for God was deeper than what God did for him. His love for God was deeper than what happened to him in his life. Do you love God simply because he's God? Or do you only cry out to him when you need something? See, deep down, below the surface of his emotions, Job knew that if he had everything or if he had nothing, God was still God. And God was still with him. And so because of that, he was going to be okay. Isn't that a kind of faith that you want to have? See, that's what makes the Lord's Supper so powerful for us. It's not just remembering what Jesus did for us. We're remembering that Jesus is here right now with us. The same Jesus who said to his disciples after he rose from the dead that all authority in heaven and earth had been given to him. That's the same Jesus that lives inside of each one of us. Do you know you have that power in you? See, when we take communion, the the bread and the juice become one with our bodies. It reminds us that Christ lives in every molecule of our physical bodies and in every space in our souls. See, Job is evidence to us that, and we don't need Job to tell us this, there's nothing predictable about life on earth, is there? One moment we can be completely fine. The next moment we can lose it all. That's life on earth. That's reality. But if our love for God is based on who God is, and not on what God does for us. We're going to be able to make it through those times when we seem to have lost everything. But we can make it through not on our strength. Heavens no, not on our strength. But on the strength given to us by the Holy Spirit. We can make it. Because regardless of what happens to us, God is still God. Will you pray with me? Let's pray.